Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you guys. And uh, let me just say right here at the top of the service how excited we are to finally have the kids' tower open. Can we give the Lord just a little praise, a little hand? We're so thankful, man. And uh, I just want to say a quick prayer of, of just thanks and dedication as we go forward. And over the next couple of weeks, those of you who have kids in those areas, you're going to see starting tomorrow, actually, we're going to have a team come in and they're going to be beautifying and adding more cool stuff, 3D stuff, all kinds of really neat things that I think the kids are going to kind of be wowed by and, and it's going to be so cool. So more stuff is coming, but we're so excited to finally have the doors open And so what I'd love to do is, if you would, let's pray together and just thank God for this monumental moment in our history. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for all of the hard work, the sacrifice, the miracles, God, so many, right down to the city approval this week to be able to open it, to have it available for the kids today is all just provision from your hand. Thank you, God, that you have done so much to bring such a great moment uh, to us. And I pray, Father, that this building is it's simply a tool to be used, God, by you to, to help kids to discover your love, your, your plan for their life, God, your purpose and meaning for their life, God. I, I, I just can't help, Lord, but remember when I was just a child and there was a space and, and a program and people that were specifically uh, there for me, and it helped me to connect with your love and helped me to begin that relationship with you, and I was forever changed by it. And I pray, God, that that would happen for our children as well, my kids and everybody's kids in this room, Lord, that you would captivate their heart, and that the seeds of the gospel and the good news, Lord, of your truth would reside deep in their heart, and God, that years to come, Father, that you continue to produce an incredible harvest in their life, uh, Father, of wisdom and blessing, God, because of this relationship that they begin here in these amazing spaces. We love you. Thank you so much for all you do for us, and we pray all this in the amazing name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. We're so excited about that. Uh, Last week, we launched a brand new series entitled The Comparison Game. As we kicked off this new series, asking this question, why is it we all have a tendency at times to compare ourselves with other people? And we ended with this big idea, there is no winning the comparison game. There's no winners in the comparison game. It is one of those that it, it just it doesn't happen. And so what we uh, were left with uh, this last week as we talked about this is that the reason that there's no winning the comparison game is that there's always somebody with a bigger er. Remember we talked about this? There's somebody who is richer than you, skinnier, that is happier, healthier, hipper, um, cooler. Uh, their life just looks better than yours. And you look at them and you say, wow. And if it's not them, it's their spouse or their kids that you look at and say, wow, I kind of wish, you know, my people were like their people. You know, uh, I, I can't help but be a little jealous. Their kids are just more, they're smarter. They're more athletic than your kids. Uh, 
their spouse is more successful or they're, they're more attractive or whatever. And you can't help but be a little jealous. You, you want, you, you desire, you compare a little bit. Now, Ur also has a flip side to it. <clears throat> in, in the same way, in a similar way, there are people that we know who are poorer than us. People who are slower, heavier, nerdier than us. And when we compare ourselves to them, we come away feeling superior -er than them, right? And it is either way, it's not good. It's not a healthy step. And, and we need to know what is it that we're supposed to do with this comparison game? How do we proceed forward? Because there's a tendency in all of us in our life to look over our shoulder and try to determine where we are based on where everybody else is, right? Have you ever felt that way? <clears throat> and that practice causes us to lose our contentment, to lose our joy, and ultimately life becomes a process of trying to get what you don't now have constant pursuit. As we called it last week, Solomon called it a chasing after the wind. An endless, pointless, there's no finish line. You just never quite ever get there. So there's no winning the comparison game. Here's the thing. The, the next part of this is um, really understanding that we all have to ask a big question. And here's that big question. Who or what? Who or what am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay. And, and here's the thing that's kind of crazy about this question. Even if you don't formally sit down and think about, hmm, if I had to guess, what would my thing be, my who or what reference point to tell me that I'm okay? Even if you don't try to know what it is, you already have an answer to this. There is something, when you look in the mirror, that tells you either you're okay or you're not okay. There's some standard that you're already using. I'm just trying to get you to think about what it is. And let's be critical and intentional about what that is. Because some of us beat ourselves up all the time according to standards that really, they shouldn't be there. As a matter of fact, as we answer this question, many times the answer to that question is going to be someone in your life that you feel like you're in a similar place in life. Maybe it's a brother or sister Maybe it's a brother or sister-in-law. Maybe it's a friend, an old friend from college, or a present, current friend that's a roommate in college that you compare yourself to. It's a neighbor. It's, a, it's, it's somebody that you know that you tend to say, hmm, I kind of like, am I in the right place in life? Man, they're a little ahead of us, or I'm a little ahead of them, and I tend to feel good or bad according to how I'm doing as I relate to that one individual or these group of people, this group of friends. How am I doing compared to them? Or maybe it's a dollar amount. If I could just make a certain amount of money, then I would feel okay about me. Maybe it's your appearance, as long as you're looking good, right? You would, the stuff you're not going to say at church, but if you're real honest, you look in the mirror, you don't look good, you don't feel, I'm not okay, because I don't look okay, you know? It, it, how do you look? Maybe it's getting recognized, it's, it's appreciation at work, or at home, or someone is applauding, giving you an attaboy, girl, somebody that's kind of pushing you forward. Or maybe it's your GPA, if you're a student. I'm okay if my GPA is okay, you know, or my parents are okay when my GPA is okay. Um, but we, we have some standard that we work off of that tells us whether or not we're okay. But here's what I've noticed in me, and maybe you've had this happen in you. There is this kind of whisper. There's this voice. I'm not talking about something mystical, but that talks to me sometime and says, if I just had a little of what they have, 
I'd be a little more happy. If I could just have what they have, then I'd finally feel whole. I'd feel better about Will. I would just, I would look better. I'd feel better. I'd have more. I would, you ever felt like that? There's that, that voice. There's that feeling. There's that whispering that kind of happens in there. And what I want to talk to you about today is that Christianity, this, this worldview that Jesus came to bring us, it has an answer, an explanation for this voice that I'm talking about to tell us where that's coming from. And even more, he gives us an alternative for your whole life to this game of comparison of looking over your shoulder and trying to determine where you are based on where everyone else is. He says there's a better way to live. This is no way to live. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes about this and kind of helps explain, here's why Jesus came. And he is to address, he came to address this issue that every one of us struggle with in our life about our value. And in his letter to the church at Galatia, the Galatian letter in the New Testament, chapter 4, starting with verse 4, he begins to unpack this idea of why did Jesus come and what difference does it make in regards to how we feel internally about who we are and about our identity. Let's take a look at this together. If you would, let's read these highlighted words together. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Here's what you need to know about God's law. God's law, it acted as a mirror for all people to look into and say, something's not right. I am not right. And, and, and not just that I'm not right, I will never be right. I can never fix this thing that's not right in me. There is something lacking. I don't measure up. And I'm not even not measuring up to God's law. I can't even measure up to Will's law. If I, or you can't even measure up to your own personal ethic of what you would say, I don't want other people doing this to me, but then there are times that you find yourself doing it to them or talking about them. You just don't measure up. You don't lack. I mean, you don't have, you lack. You find yourself lacking in some area of life. And some of you are extremely self-critical. You, you criticize yourself all the time inside your head. You run yourself down all... You don't even have to have anybody tell you you lack. You already know it. But here's the thing. We have this haunting suspicion in our soul that we lack, that we're not enough, that we, we, we're coming up short. But what we do is we mistakenly assume that what will fix that is more of something we see in this world. Now, what I'm telling you right now is a huge secret that many people do not know. We feel this lack, so we look in the world around us and we say, you know what to fix this? More money. If I, you know what to fix this? If I just had a better job, if I just had a better spouse, if I just had an upgrade here or a little more there, if I just had a new pickup or a nicer house, or if I had, you know, if I had somebody to recognize me, if I got more respect, if I just got... What, there's something you see that you want, and you feel like, if I could just get that, I'd be whole. I'd be content. I'd be okay. I'd be satisfied. I'd be joyful. I'll be, I'll be finally all together. But the problem is, when you meet, and we all discover, we meet people, or we find out about people who have what we wish we had, and they feel the same way you do. And they're like, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Let me tell you, it's not what you think it is. 
right? I've already cut to the front of the line. I've already made that much money. I'm telling you, it doesn't fix what you think it's going to fix. It doesn't get it all together. It just doesn't remedy the issue. In other words, I still feel like a slave too. Now, let me make kind of a, an older reference. Some of you will remember this. Some like 18 years ago, do you remember when Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston got married, right? How, like, how pretty are they, right? Look at them. It's like, you're 2000, uh, big, big deal in the media. I remember everybody covered it, talked about it. It was on all the magazines and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it lasted all of about five years or something like this. And then they got divorced. And I remember uh, a comedian coming out and saying, he says, seriously, if these two lost interest in each other, is there any hope for the rest of us? <laughs> right? Like, that's a great point. As you think about it, they're probably two of the most envied people in the world when it comes to attractiveness. Hello, look how pretty they are, right? They are super rich, super rich. They're super famous. They have everything that this world would say, if I just had that, I would be great. Like, if there was ever a couple that felt like they sort of lived above the law, like they were above the whole comparison game, like they got, they like won already, they were already at the finish line, and we all kind of wish we were there, it would have been a couple like this, right? They had everything going for them. But at some point in this marriage, some point in their relationship, they wake up and they look over their shoulder and go, I mm, think I can do better, <laughs> right? I think I can do better. This illustration, along with so many others in our culture, and especially pop culture, scream, they are slaves too. They feel the same way you do. They, they, they compare just like you do. They feel discontent and no joy, and they're striving and looking and wondering, when will I ever quite get my life together? So he leaves her for Angelina Jolie, and now they're separated. Like, it just goes on and on. Like Solomon said, is it chasing after the wind? And homeboy, like, he, he's worth, like, over $250 million. You would think, this guy has got what every guy wants, right? He can be with whoever he wants. He can do, And he's miserable most of the time. Can't hold a relationship together. Ladies, you don't want to be with a guy like that. I'm just telling you. But here's the thing that's funny about that. There is still, we'll all go, yeah, yeah, like he's got a problem, they got a problem. They're not, you know, they're these rich, real you know, famous people, they're just not right in the head or whatever. Yeah, they're messed up, they got problems. But there is still this whisper down in you that says, yeah, but it'd be nice. I little bit. I mean, I'd like to have some of what they have, right? I mean, they can give me just a, just a little tithe off of their money. I would be fine with that, you know? I would just like that. We, yeah, there's just a little part of you like, yeah, I'd like a, I'd like a little part of it. But we're baffled and even a little judgy when we hear about people who are really successful, really wealthy, and they're discontent. And their discontentment destroys their life because they're searching, searching, searching. They're doing all this weird stuff. And you're going, why are they doing it? They're destroying their relationships. They're destroying their life. And we say, wow, those people have real problems. Like, they're really messed up. I can't believe it. And you know what? You're right but so are you, and so am I. And let's talk about the real problem, the source of the real problem. Because they're, they're constantly saying, if only I had, if only I had, but so are we. And what are you filling into that blank with? Here's the big problem that we have got to address here today. And that is this, the break in the creator-creation relationship. 
creator-creation relationship caused by sin created a thread of insecurity that, has, that runs through all of us. There is this haunting suspicion in your soul and in mine too that all by yourself, we're not okay. There's something not quite right. And you see it come out all kinds of times. Like when you see somebody who fails, who blows it, who messes up, and you want to celebrate, like you think, that's ugly. Why am I happy because something horrible happened to them? That's not right. But you do it anyway, right? It's sin. It's something that's not right. It's a slavery on the inside of you. It's us coming back to something that Jesus says, I've come to break you out of that. Or maybe it's people outside of you. There's people outside of you throughout your life that have told you you're not enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. You're not athletic enough. You're not cool enough. You're not popular enough to be a part of this group or to be a part of this deal. You can't. You're just not enough. Somebody breaks up with you, looks you right in the face and says, I don't want to be with you. And really what they're saying is, I don't, you're not enough for me. And it's hard because what, when they say these things to us, it kind of confirms the suspicion of our soul. They're right. And people get so sad and they get so suicidal sometimes. They get so depressed in these kinds of moments that I don't measure up. I'm not enough. And this is the exact slavery that Paul is talking about. Jesus came to free us from this constant longing and desire to try to self-justify. If I could just make enough, be enough, have enough, pretty enough, social media presence enough, liked enough, retweeted enough, then I'll be okay about me. It is a chasing after the win. This comparison game has no winners. Nobody wins this one. Nobody. So how do we win? Let's talk about this a little bit. Because Jesus came to redeem us from that kind of slavery. The slavery of constantly trying to, to make up for what we lack. Constantly trying to make up. So when I say he came to redeem us, let's break that down. How do we define that? Redeem literally means to give something, to get something, in order to get something. To give something in order to get something. In other words, Jesus came to give his life so that he could purchase for us freedom. Freedom from the slavery to sin and the condemnation that comes from that sin in light of God's law. He came to give us freedom from all of that, to be able to set us free. And so it's so important that we understand that all of that was done in order for what he tells us next. In verse 5, part B, here's what he says. And if we could read these highlighted words together, it says, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Man, this is awesome. He says, I want to adopt my heart, my desire, isn't just to forgive you, but to, to have you as my own children. Now, this is a really interesting historical fact, is that the ancient Hebrew people or Jewish people did not have uh, adoption as we understand it today. They didn't even have a word for adoption. So when Paul began to talk to these people about adoption, he used a uh, Greek or a, a Roman idea, a Roman concept of adoption. And the way the Romans adopted wasn't like the way you and I think about adoption today. They didn't adopt babies or little children. They would say, you people are way, you're taking way too big a risk. You don't know how those kids are going to turn out. 
right? They said, let's wait till we, well, they're young adults and we know how they're going to turn out. And then we'll adopt them after we know how they're going to turn out. That's, that's, a, that's a fact. That's how the Romans would adopt. As a matter of fact, a lot of the wealthy Romans started having fewer and fewer, and, and to, at some point stopped having children altogether because all the men who were wealthy, they were playboys. They didn't want to have the responsibility of kids. As, as a matter of fact, there were several times that it came before the Roman Senate to pass laws to make these wealthy Roman men to get married and have children because it was going to be a detriment to the nation, and they were right. It wound up being. But what they would do is once they got to a certain age, they would just adopt a young buck and say, hey, I'm going to adopt you as my son, and I'm going to leave my estate and everything I have to you. And so they would have a religious ceremony, and they would adopt this adult child, basically. And once the ceremony was done, they would have all the rights and privileges of a biological child. They had all the wealth and the estate, everything had access to the father. They could start calling him daddy now. It was like the full thing, you know? And, and Paul, very intentionally and on purpose, says, I want to select this idea of the Roman adoption for what God in Christ does for us. You need to understand, he didn't just come to forgive sins. He came to adopt us as his children that he loves you and that you're precious to him. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to see yourself through his eyes, that you are his child, and he is your father. And this is an ongoing, daily relationship. And he did that so that this next part could take place. Verse 6, it says, And because we are his children... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. I'd like you to say this, Abba, Father, with me. Prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. This, this word Abba here is an Aramaic term that literally means daddy. Jesus was the first and only person in history that began to use this term to refer to his heavenly father, to God himself, in his prayers and as he talked about he call him Abba. Now this sounded just like it might sound to you today. To call God Daddy, it almost feels irreverent. Like, are you, you, maybe you shouldn't be quite so familiar and so like warm and lovey to God. I mean, he's like the judge. He's like up there. And, but Jesus is showing us, no, I came, gave my life, sacrificed myself, resurrected from the dead so that you could enjoy this kind of a daddy relationship with God. You have been invited to relate to God as daddy. This is what Jesus desired. This is part of why he came. That it, this radically, think about this for a minute, this radically changes our identity because now you belong to, your identity is a part of the family of God. He is your father. And ever, if ever there is royalty, it's God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ coming in God, God in the flesh to make us his children. Now think about this for just a second. Now we don't have these on earth, but think about perfect parents for a minute. Who do perfect parents compare their children to, right? Who do perfect parents compare their children to? Nobody, right? Nobody. They don't say, hey, if you were more like him, or if you were more like her, then I would, you would be enough for me. I would love you. I would accept you. You would finally, you know, 
be good enough to be a part of this family. Perfect parents don't do that. So here's the follow-up question for you personally. Who does your perfect heavenly father compare you to? Let's say it together. One, two, three. All right. One more time. A little more gusto. One, two, three. That's right. He doesn't compare you to anybody. He doesn't look over his shoulder and say, why don't you act a little more like your brother over here or your sister over there? Why can't you get it together like them? God has made every one of you a one-off. And he has a one-off purpose and meaning for your life that he wants to fulfill in you. But it comes from being a part of a relationship with him. It comes from doing his will, obeying him, following him, trusting him as your heavenly father day in and day out. It's so important to not give up on this. Because if you want to break out of the comparison trap, or the comparison game, rather, you've got to make, uh, make your reference point the one who made you, loved you, and redeemed you. This is the only way. You've got to make him your reference point. In uh, the Old Testament book of Proverbs, Solomon tells us, chapter 14, verse 30, he tells us this. He says, a heart at, let's say it together, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but Envy rots the bones. Envy, looking over my shoulder, trying to figure out where I am based on where all of you guys are. Envy, comparison, the comparison game. It rots the bones. It eats you up from the inside out. If you want to have peace, if you want to stop having that feeling like you're getting eaten up on the inside, you're never quite good enough, you're always striving, you're always looking for and hoping for somebody's approval or some kind of achievement, some kind of something to make you feel okay about you, and to finally just begin to be the man, woman, girl, boy that God created you to be, it's going to come from letting God become your reference point. And it brings peace, and it brings a body that is not rotting away. I mean, it's, it, it, it just brings such calm and contentment. It's amazing. But you don't have to do this. You can keep looking over your shoulder, and it will absolutely erode any peace that might have been yours or any amount of contentment that God might have intended for your life. It will all be taken away. Ever since our girls were a little bitty, Leslie and I have made a point, and I know many of you as parents do the same thing, to tell our girls, we have three girls, that we love them often, not just with our words, with our actions, and, and even sometimes that love has to be tough. And so, but we, we say that often because our goal, our heart is that we never want them to question that. And there's going to come a time, you guys know, when they get into those adolescent years, every kid's going to question their worth. They're going to question everything. They're going to question who they are, what they're all about. And, and I want in those moments, and so do you, for them to say, all I have to do is look right here. Look in these eyes. Look in this face. I love you. You're enough. You're okay. You don't have to look anywhere else. You don't have to get it from your peers. You don't have to get it from me. Right here. And this is what Jesus is telling us that you have a loving heavenly father. 
There is no winning the comparison game, but there is no losing. Please hear me. There is no losing. If you use your heavenly father as your reference point and look right into his face and understand your value comes from him, it is the only place that your soul will finally feel its true value. You won't find it in this world. You won't find it anywhere else. It will only be found in Jesus Christ. It is only found there. And that is the only way that you get around this comparison game. It's not by playing it and trying to win it. It's by saying, I'm going to go a completely different route, and I'm going to trust him. Here's the commitment prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Abba, Father, Daddy, help me to stop looking over my shoulder, but to evaluate my worth by how much you paid to redeem me. Help me to stop looking over my shoulder, envying, comparing, trying to live up to, measure up to. You know you lack, but he's saying, listen, I've already given everything that it takes to take the shackles and manacles off of you so that you can be free. You don't have to be a slave to the system anymore. You can be free, but it comes from daily looking into my face, taking time to be with me, hear my word, let my wisdom be a part of your life. It is a journey. It is a walk. It is daily. Don't think this is a one-time event. It is something that he says, trust me every day, every minute of every day. Let's walk together. I got great things in store, but you'll never find them apart from me. It only comes from connecting your life to me. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.